actor Johnny Depp attempts to put away his demons as his case against his ex-wife, Amber Heard, gets broadcasted for all the world to see. And we take a look at the spontaneous worship on a plane that got heard around the world and had some people up in arms about it. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about what's going on recently with not only the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp court case that has been heard all over the place, but also with those who were absolutely up in arms concerning some of the worship that took place on a plane and the video that was posted afterward. Most recently, a a very sad thing to watch has been the court case regarding Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, the two actors that were married between 2015 and 2017, and a lot of the allegations that have put forth, a lot of the information, uh, some true, some not true, I'm sure, But a lot of it is really a showcase that Hollywood, money, fame, looks, all of those things offer you absolutely nothing, not even in this world. (laughs) Like, it's bad enough that you don't get eternal life when these are the things that are put before you, that when these are the things that you have chosen to strive after rather than the kingdom of God. But it's another thing to see the devastation of what takes place when yet when actors, young actors, as we're going to look through kind of where Johnny Depp all started and kind of how all of this has gotten to a place where he's talking about demons in court cases. And it is really sad to realize that even in this world, Satan only gives them so much happiness and then it's fleeting and he takes it away. And really when the acting is removed and you hear some of the things, because we're going to play a couple of the clips, it is really a sad display and it breaks my heart. And I just cannot get around the fact that this is, it's not antithetical, it's not something that is hyperbole, but this sort of tumultuous relationship just simply looks as part of what Hollywood is more normative for, the things that they are practicing. And I think a lot of this has to do with not having a, I don't even think, I know. A lot of this has to do with them looking to use each other many of times uh, for whatever gain it might be and so forth, especially when you look at the demographic here in terms of the age range between the two uh, in this relationship and especially where they were in each other's careers while they were together. But nonetheless, when we look at these stories, they really bring just just ultimate sadness to see some of the destructive behavior that sin, drugs, Hollywood, I mean, really Satan, and that whole scene brings upon someone's life. It is devastating. So I want to look back because this was a line that came out during the court case because they were talking about some of the the photographs. Johnny Depp um, has come out or They've kind of released some of the text messages and so forth from Johnny Depp that were pretty damning as well, alongside some of the stuff and the audio that we're going to hear later concerning Amber Heard and her abuse as well. But when we look at this, one of the lines that he stated really brings this 
to a, a better perspective of where this all began, because typically it's not all just at once where some one bad event happens and people lose their mind and they become drug addicted, but a course of events that allow for this. And so when we look back at this, it says, it says here, as more photographs and text messages were displayed in court, Depp sought again to stress his intake concerning his drugs wasn't about enjoyment, but trying to handle the blast radius from his dysfunctional childhood and cinematic workload. Quote, it's not like I took the pills to get high. I took the pills to get normal. The ex-pirates of the Caribbean star declared of his addiction to oxycodone several years ago. Now I want to put this out there. Uh, first and foremost, when it comes to oxycotton or oxycodone or oxy or however people are calling it, I had a friend of mine and I was trying to understand why it was he was getting so addicted to drugs and we wrestled together and he was literally the best wrestler that I knew. I looked up to him in a lot of ways, even though he was a year younger than me. I wasn't saved back in high school or anything like that, but I looked up to him in the means of what he ever told me about wrestling. I was like, this guy's the best of the best and I'm going to trust that he knows exactly what I need to do in my matches. So whatever he said was going to be gospel to me at that time, right? But then after high school, uh, he began down a course of addiction uh, all the way into heroin and so forth. And when I was trying to grasp why, what is going on? Why do you feel the need to do all this when we have this and we have that? And I didn't even have Jesus at the time, but I'm wondering, why are you doing these drugs? You're, you're deteriorating your life. You're, you're, you're going to kill yourself. Our friends have died. They've OD'd. Like, what are you doing? And the way he described Oxycontin specifically when he would use it was the same way he would describe after winning a wrestling tournament and you're in front of the lights and you get your arm raised and you feel like the champ, all the work you put in, everything, and now I've won and he gets his arm raised. He's like, that's exactly what I feel every hit. And I thought, wow, what a means for Satan to get a hold of people than for them to have the feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of being a hero. And I believe that's the original term where heroin comes from. Erosh, I believe, is the German terminology. And what a feeling to have and to keep people coming after that carrot, so to speak. Because guess what? You're not a hero. Every time you come off that drug, you're remembering that now you're throwing your life away. But when you take that hit, you don't remember that anymore. And you keep feeling like everything's okay. And all you got to do is just keep getting to the next hit, to the next hit, to the next hit. And so many of my friends I watched overdose and die looking and searching for that fulfillment. And it broke my heart. And so when I was seeing this and realizing what he was saying, I was just trying to get back to normal. Not just because he has some sort of injury or something. And that's a way Satan has gotten to the soccer moms, they call it, around the world is with the Vicodin and so forth to grab them. Uh, well, it's this pain that I have. I have to keep being addicted. And then you have the over-prescription over and over again by doctors who give a boatload of drugs. And not only are the parents getting into it, but also you have the children going into that cabinet and grabbing those drugs and using them as party drugs. And I say this all with experience. Not that I was ever a soccer mom, but that my friends who were who had soccer moms as moms also went into those cabinets. And I was there in those houses when they went into those cabinets. So I'm just saying, please watch out for this because this is something that can happen. 
And it's so quick that you don't even realize what's taken place and they're overtaken. And that's why the Bible is so clear that we are to be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Over 15 different times in the New Testament are we called to be sober. We need to make sure our minds are renewed in Christ. We need him captive to the obedience of Christ. And taking these drugs and so forth in this recreational sense, you're going to just be used by Satan. He's going to rip apart your life. And I'm encouraging you guys, don't fall down this path. But one of the things that he's talking about there is just getting back to a place of normalcy, that he's not normal unless he's on these drugs. And when we look back at what he called a dysfunctional childhood, we see that as an actor, he had his first major role and none other than Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, I wasn't listening to the tube, Ma, just, just watching. And then after that, a number of different films from Crybaby and so forth that he was involved in. And from those win- winnings, he actually bought what was known as the club, the Viper Club, down there in Hollywood. And he would have a bunch of the major rock bands come and play there. But one of the other major actors at that time was none other than River Phoenix. Yes, the brother of the now infamous Joaquin Phoenix from movies such as The Joker and others where he has been critically acclaimed all over. Granted, I do believe that is a demon-possessed man if you've ever seen one acting in film. But nonetheless, River Phoenix, he was a child actor. He was a child actor, a very popular one. The movie Stand By Me. So let's just say that I stole the milk money, but old lady Simon stole it back from me. And he was considered by guys like Leonardo DiCaprio and, of course, Johnny Depp to be the marquee child star with all the talent. And yet, on one evening, he died in October of 1993. And I'll read specifically from an article concerning River Phoenix. Despite huge success, River made clear his distaste for Hollywood and the trappings of fame that came with his burgeoning career. However, his promising acting career was devastatingly ended when he collapsed outside of Hollywood nightclub The Viper Room, which was owned by Johnny Depp at the time. On the night of his death in October 1993, River arrived at the club with Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist John Frusciante to meet up with actor brother Joaquin Phoenix, sister Rain, and girlfriend Samantha Mathis. And you see, he had taken a concoction before he had even got to the Viper Room that would prove to be well over the lethal amount for someone to take, but it also because of the mixture, uh, I believe they called a speedball, and because of the mixture of cocaine and heroin and so forth, um, it actually does, it takes a little time to go into the system. So he was probably there for about 45 minutes before he actually succumbed and died right there out front of Johnny Depp's own club. And this was kind of a marking on Johnny's life going forward. And Johnny Depp himself has been questioned as somebody who murdered him. In fact, there are entire articles you can find online that Johnny Depp murdered him. And even recently, he's come out to say, no, I had nothing to do with that. And then it's basically, it's sad that I have to even answer it. But 
not only has he done all these things and, and had a tumultuous lifestyle, but he has led role after role, whether it's fear and loathing in Las Vegas. I didn't think so. Because in spite of his race, this man is extremely valuable to me. Or other films where these things are demonic, whether it's drugs that they're pushing or murderous rampages, like when he played the demonic serial killer, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. It's a hole in the world like a great black pit and the vermin of the world inhabit it and its morals aren't worth what a pig could spit and it goes by the name of London. This has been just normative for him to play these very demonic roles and he himself actually was quoted saying, sometimes I feel like I'm possessed with a multitude of demons. And when we see things happening, like with this Amber Heard case and so forth, where he literally drew with partially severed finger in blood notes to his wife at the time. I mean, sometimes you just look at it and say, what on earth is going on? This is sick and demented stuff. And this stuff is spiritual. Plenty of people have been watching, and he's 59 years old now. Plenty of people have been watching Johnny Depp and going and paying money to watch him do these performances, which I believe 100% are demonically inspired, perform in front of them and paying money to see a man's deterioration as Satan plays with him and uses him and just has him chasing after all these other things and using things like drugs, alcohol, cocaine, Oxycontin, whatever it may be, to try to cope with the fact that people around him have died over and over, that the things where he's been taken advantage of, places where I'm sure he's taken advantage of others, and this tumultuous life has continued in his life because the very person that he continues to pay homage to, whether he knows it or not, is Satan. And Satan is just the father of lies and has people like him and Amber Heard convinced that if they just keep doing what they're doing, they'll be just fine. And that's not the case. And you see this. I remember watching They Sold Their Souls to Rock and Roll the night I came to Christ. And one of the things, the stark reality that came into my mind and understanding was the fact that guys like Elvis Presley, who, when he first came out, really good-looking guy, right? I mean, he's out there swinging his hips and doing his thing. And yet, this is a guy that Satan just not only used and made him a complete phony, helped make him a complete phony, he chose that, where he would literally try to cover up the fact that he was talking about a quote-unquote hot lunch uh, when it had to do with sleeping with someone who was not his wife and then singing songs like, what a friend we have in Jesus when he finds out there's audio in the things recording him. How was your lunch? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they don't have sound. Just watch out, Elvis. There's a mic up there. And then this same Elvis, who was such a good-looking young man, he could have anything in this world, I guess. He was the same one who died heavily obese, addicted to drugs on his toilet. And that's literally what Satan does. He will take whatever he can and he will work through the sons of disobedience to hinder people that are trying to know Christ or keep people from knowing Christ or 
taking people away from Christ as they long to be and have this idolatrous relationship with celebrity where they hang on every word that they might say. And this is just absolutely heartbreaking to watch. And these demons that I believe Johnny Depp, and this has come up in the court case as well, and he's always placed the demons alongside the alcohol or the drugs and so forth and trying to get these demons away and and, and all of this. And when we look at it, we see that some of the demons were leading him all along. Plenty of people love the movie Pirates of the Caribbean. I think a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork to come out against Disney, but know that they've been pushing this stuff all along and using the biggest actors possible to do it. In fact, we have an article on goodfight.org that we'll put in the description here titled Pirates of the Caribbean and the Gay Agenda. And I'm going to read directly from it because it makes some... I would say claims, but these aren't claims. These are from the horse's mouth. With the June 2011 release of Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, Johnny Depp continues to roll out more gay pirate films for the kiddies. In his portrayal of Captain Jack Sparrow, is Depp purposely subjecting America's children to an alluring character that is intentionally intended to depict homosexual characteristics? Parents who are taking their children to see Depp's latest pirate movie, should be aware what kind of role model Depp is foisting upon their children. Depp not only imbibed traits of drug-addled guitarist Keith Richard into his persona, but inculcated a flamboyant gay pirate into his composite character as well. To prepare for the starring role as Captain Jack Sparrow, Depp admits that he read the book Sodomy and the Pirate Tradition. Depp admits that in his role as Captain Jack Sparrow, he is in part portraying himself as a flamboyant homosexual. When Rolling Stone asked Depp about the, quote, certain gay undercurrent so obvious in his Jack Sparrow's character, Depp responded, Well, there was a great book I read, Sodomy in the Pirate Tradition, a very interesting book. I wasn't exactly going for that with the character. And Keith is not flamboyant in his actions. Keith is pretty stealth. But with Jack... It was more that I liked the idea of being ambiguous, of taking this character and making everything a little bit questionable because women were thought to be bad luck on ships and these pirates would go out for years at a time. So, you know, there is the possibility that one thing might lead to another. You're lonely. You have an extra ration of rum. Cabin boy. Depp's eyeshadow and effeminate mannerisms reveal that he played up what Rolling Stone called the certain gay undercurrents of his character well. Famous film reviewer Roger Ebert wrote, Depp seems to be channeling a drunken drag queen with his eyeliner and the way he minces ashore and slurs his dialogue ever so insuciantly. Depp may in fact be channeling a demon that comes across as a drunken drag queen, as he himself admitted being possessed by a multitude of demonic entities. Quote, I know I have demons. I'm 30 different people sometimes. Now, this is obviously something that is really important for us to look into concerning what we are putting before our eyes, especially when it has a demonic nature behind it. And sadly enough, you're going to see in this clip when he was actually out to be on the red carpet showing off his Alice in Wonderland two movie in 2016 the true sadness behind where this will lead you 
thousands of people around the globe. Do you have a message for your fans right now, Mr. Depp? I'm scared to death. <laughs> I'm frightened and I don't know what to do. I'm confused and I want to go home. And when you see that, don't you just see a man, a broken man? This is in the middle of his marriage with Amber Heard. And I know we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to play this clip real quick so you can hear some of the violence that was going on from Heard and the belittling on her behalf as well, as so many people thought she was such a strong candidate for the Me Too movement where she was writing op-eds concerning, well, she didn't name him by name, but concerning Depp about her being abused. But here you can see just a little bit into some of the abuse she was handing out as well. I said to Travis, I said, no, I said to you, hey, tell Travis what just happened. Oh, you told me to do it. You told me to. You said, go do that. I said, no, tell him what just happened. And I lied. And that you punched me in the thing. You figured it out. And you said, no, I didn't. What the are you talking about? And I watched you lie. And then I didn't punch you, by the way. You... I'm sorry that I didn't uh, uh, hit you across the face in a proper slap, but I was hitting you. It was not punching you. Babe, you're not punched. Don't tell me what it feels like to be punched. You, you know, you've been a lot of fights. You've been around a long time. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, when you have a close You face. didn't get punched. You got hit. I'm sorry I hit you like this, but I did not punch you. I did not fucking deck you. I was hitting you. I don't know what the motion of my actual hand was, but you're fine. I did not hurt you. I did not punch you. I was hitting you. How are you? How? What am I supposed to do? Do this? I, I'm not sitting here bitching about it, am I? You are. That's the difference between me and you. You're a fucking baby. Because you start. You are such a baby. Grow the fuck up, Johnny. Physical fights. I did start a physical fight. Yeah, you did, so I had because to get out of there. Yes, you did. So you did the right thing, the big thing. The, you know what? You are admirable. Now, these are obviously striking details, and I would have to say it's kind of crazy to see her use some of that language towards somebody she loves and to obviously admit to actually hitting him. And it seems as though these two were really a match made in hell. Because their abusive tactics, some of the things he called behind her back as well, I don't know if he ever actually struck her, which she certainly implied in her op-ed before. But nonetheless, these things are really heartbreaking. And I want to encourage you, for those who are um, thinking about having a spouse, make sure they love Jesus. Make sure that they love Jesus more than they love you. I say that in a very, very happy, loving, wonderful marriage uh, that I am in. Uh, with my beautiful wife, Holly, and I could not imagine having someone that would do the things and say the things that these two have said to each other or about one another, and it's heartbreaking. And I think we really need to make sure that we are the people that are going after Christ together and find someone that you can stand with arm in arm running together towards Jesus. That's the absolute most important thing. Now, I wanted to get to this last bit right here. Because when I first saw this clip of these missionaries going over to Ukraine singing, it did seem when they were on a flight that they might have not had all the guests excited to listen to their worship. 
And I think there's a proverb that speaks somewhat to the person who might be annoyed by this. As it says in Proverbs 27, 14, he who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned as a curse to him. And I think that can tell us that screaming blessings early in the morning can be taken as curses and you can have the right thing to say at the wrong time and a little too loud, but that doesn't give us a right not to share the gospel. And to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't be somebody who randomly pulled out a guitar and started singing, but I think a lot of the details weren't known, and a lot of people really went a little crazy, and I don't know much about these guys. I looked into the Instagram page for uh, the leader of this group that was doing some missionary work, it seems, out in Ukraine, and they do look a little word of faithy. I haven't, like I said, gone into depth, but I wanted to know a little bit. And whenever I see um, I, I, those in what claim to be in the Christian realm that seem to just be provocateurs against really anything at all that they can be, and that they simply just complain whenever they can complain— and I think Kyle J. Howard is one of the greatest examples of this, no matter what the cause. Uh, I think his Twitter feed is a cesspool of nonsense uh, when I really, and that's probably the nicest thing I could say about it with most of the things that he writes. But this is what he said concerning their playing. He said, love isn't arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. These people aren't loving their neighbor. They aren't even genuinely loving Jesus in this moment. I submit to you that this is self-worship. They are worshiping their piety. They're insisting that others worship it too. Of course, uh, people like Elon Omar complained about it as well and, and so forth as a Muslim. But it does seem we should always do a little better job of getting background concerning what's going on before we spout off nonsense like this and just assume that someone was doing self-worship when they were worshiping on a plane, not knowing whether or not the flight was chartered, who was on it or anything, and just making a lot of conclusions. But this is what was written by the leader of the group. Quote, we were on a flight with our team coming back from helping the Ukrainian refugees at the Ukrainian border. Over the last month, we have been given humanitarian aid, food, and praying with the beautiful people of Ukraine. We we're filled with thanksgiving of what God did in our time there. Our heart was to bring joy and hope as there is so much pain with what's going on in this world. We went up to the air host and shared with her what we were doing in Ukraine and asked if it's okay if we sing one song to bring hope and joy to this flight. There were many Ukrainians on this flight. She was happy and said that would be great. She then asked the pilot. The pilot and all their air host were 100% in agreement. If they said no, we wouldn't have honored that. They even made an announcement to all passengers letting them know who we are and what we did in Ukraine and introduced us and allowed us to get the guitar out. People then clapped and welcomed us. We then got up and sang the song, How Great Is Our God. We were up for three or four minutes. People were filming and smiling. People were truly touched by what we were singing. Once we were done, everyone clapped and thanked us and we sat back down. The air host came over and thanked us and we received many thank yous as people got off the plane. So thankful for the full permission we received to bring joy to this flight with a song. Well, that will get you dunked on, Mr. Howard. If you just paid attention to what was actually going on, 
But nonetheless, I would say that this is a case where it seemed like they did their due diligence and then asked and then were able to play a song, right? And it is so sad to see the uproar police come out and try to get people mad so they can get some Twitter likes and some retweets. And honestly, it's an embarrassment. Like I said, don't know much about the group, What I, the little faint amount that I looked into the, the Twitter, or sorry, the Instagram page didn't make me seem to want to follow them. But nonetheless, it seems the precautions that they took before doing this all seem to be pretty loving when all things considered. And I just want to encourage you guys, uh, looking at all of this, seeing so clearly not only this, you know, extravaganza on the airplane with the music, but also all of the sadness when it comes to Amber Heard and Johnny Depp and really the display of grossness. I didn't even get into the fact that when they got in a fight, she used the bathroom on top of their bed in anger. But that really is the abominable bush that is walking in this life without Jesus. Whether you know it or not, this is the stinky, ugly sin that is in this world And I'm sure if all of our sin, mine included, was displayed for everyone to see, we would all be embarrassed. But the fact is, is that when it comes to Jesus Christ, he says to Telestai, paid in full, it is finished when you come to him. And he begins, when you repent, when you have a heart change that leads to a change of your action, he begins a process of sanctification, having justified you by his blood, that then makes you more and more like Jesus himself. So that's what we want in this life so that we can see him after. Because without sanctification, no one will see the Lord. Let's grow in Jesus. Let's cling to him. Let's follow him. And let's love our neighbor and share the truth with him. God bless you. This has been Chad Davidson. This is the 511 News. God bless you guys. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.